all the time. All right, let's get to this, Dr. Rhonda Souza. Okay, hold on one second. Let me get your dot. I copied about four pages of your CV. You got what about 200 pages there? Oh my god, that's why I gave you the Reader's Digest <laughs> NIH bio sketch. That's why you gave the Reader's Digest <laughs> the Cliff Notes. <laughs> Hey, welcome to another edition of the Dr. Selwyn Howard Show. I'm honored to uh, present this young lady, Dr. Rhonda Souza. She is a board-certified internist and gastroenterologist. Her biggest claim to fame, besides other things, is she's a college uh, medical school classmate of mine, class of 1991 at Howard University. But this is a dynamo here. We are very privileged to uh, talk to her. I, eventually, uh, originally when I started to ask her to do this interview is because I recently had a colonoscopy and I wanted to go over that process with her. But reading about her is just really fascinating. She's doing some cutting edge things that will provide us with uh, some uh, new medical treatments down the road. Uh, just a little history on her besides her being my medical school classmate, Dr. D'Souza, uh, was a 1987 graduate of Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Uh, she did her internship at Harvard-affiliated Beth Israel in Boston, Massachusetts, residency there as well. She did a gastroenterology fellowship at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Uh, and currently, she is the co-director for the Center for Esophageal Diseases at Baylor University Medical Center at Dallas. She's co-director of Center for Esophageal Research at Baylor Scott and White Research Institute. And she is a Baylor University Medical Center uh, Research Institute uh, professor. Without further ado, Dr. Souza, how are you today? Good. Thank you, Dr. Howard, for inviting me to chat with you today. We'll have to give you all your accolades. We can go on and on. We've, we've really made this a, a bridge version of you. So I want to <clears throat> let the audience know that uh, we're going to talk about two things in particular. One is about what you do on a regular basis, which is more research-oriented. You're a medical doctor who's more uh, research-oriented. But also, secondly, about what you're trying to do to promote uh, the field of medicine for young and upcoming people who have interest in medicine and want to go to medical school and also want to have careers in gastroenterology. So um, tell me uh, a little bit about what you're doing right now. Uh, I looked and tried to do my research. I didn't have enough time. I think I'd be reading for about three or four days. <laughs> but what stood out to me is you're doing a, a research on GERD, um, and that's very important. A lot of people get acid reflux, and it seems like uh, you've discovered something that uh, typically that we didn't think about. I think most people thought that uh, when you have uh, acid reflux that you have an, a direct mucosal injury, but you're telling us there's some other things going on there. Give us a little history about that. Sure. So we um, we got into this. We've always been studying about how acid and bile, the major components of reflux, would injure the esophagus and how chronic injury of the esophagus would promote Barrett's esophagus, which is a precancerous lesion for esophageal adenocarcinoma. And we started working with an animal model, a rat model of this disease. And what we noticed is that once we surgically created reflux in this rat model, it took weeks for them to develop esophageal erosions. Now, if you spill battery acid on your hand, which is a caustic injury, you definitely don't need weeks to see that injury. So we thought, wow, if this was supposed to be a caustic chemical injury on the mucosa, it shouldn't take weeks to develop. 
So using this animal model, all we all we really did is we just looked over a time course, three days, seven days, um, two weeks, four weeks, out to eight weeks, and just histologically mapped out how this injury was developing. And we found that the initial insult with acid and bile really didn't erode the, the surface mucosa at all, but rather it seemed to involve the uh, recruitment of inflammatory cells into the mucosa, starting from the submucosa that then worked its way up to the lamina propria and then the surface epithelium. Um, we then used some cells that we had in the lab in a dish, and we started to look at what happens to those squamous cells once you start putting acid and bile on top of them as if they were getting reflux. And we found that they were secreting these chemokines or cytokines that in turn would recruit these immune cells to the esophagus. And that seemed to be the initial insult of the acid and bile. So of course, you know, we presented this at meetings and we wrote a great paper on this in gastroenterology, but of course, everybody looked at us and said, yeah, well, that's nice. That's a rat model. What does that actually have to do with like people? That, that's not the same. So um, with my partner here in Dallas, Stuart Speckler, who's a, an expert clinician investigator, he knows how to design these prospective clinical studies. We sat down and designed a human study where we took people that had... Um, endoscopically documented severe reflux, so reflux uh, LA grade C, so pretty bad reflux. So we knew they were going to get reflux as soon as we took them off their PPIs. So we stopped their PPIs and let them take Maalox, you know, for their symptoms. And Mom, we- just to catch up, PPIs, tell patients uh, or some of our audience members, some of the uh, uh, trademark names for the PPIs, they may be able to relate with that a little bit better. I think most people would uh, relate to Prilosec, the purple pill, which was hugely broadcast. You know, that was one of the earliest ones that came out. Nowadays, you have uh, Dexalent or Dexalanzoprazole. Uh, I think the other one is Prav, Pravid? Oh, I don't know. We just use Amip Amiprazole as the generic. Yeah, Prevacid. Yeah, Prevacid. And then uh, Esamiprazole, which is Nexium. Nexium. Yes. Nexium. Right. So most folks... So what we did is this um, folks were on these PPIs. We took them off just for two weeks. And what we did is we did an endoscopy on them and looked at their esophageal mucosa with biopsies while they were on their PPIs. And then we looked one week after they were off their PPIs and then two weeks after they were off their PPIs. And we did the same thing. We wanted to, to look at what was happening in the mucosa, both endoscopically and histologically. And we found the same findings that one week and two weeks off PPIs, it seemed that um, the immune cell infiltration was the first event that happened prior to them getting surface ulcerations. So it does look like this whole cytokine immune mediated injury is the initiator of reflux esophagitis. And then once that happens and the immune cells come in and then there's continuing surface erosion by acid and bile, there's probably a little bit of caustic injury down the road, but it's not the initiator of the, of the esophagitis as we were uh, taught in medical school. Right. And the thing that I think that brings it all together is we hear about inflammatory processes now with all types of diseases, cardiac, uh, you know, we have COVID where we talk about the inflammatory process and a lot of the things you mentioned are all intertwined. So it's almost like the body kind of is reacting to something that causes an over uh, inflammatory process. Correct. Correct. So 
that's what I, I think that the audience can appreciate about this. Now, as far as uh, therapies down the road, do you see anything that we may be able to uh, alleviate uh, this process? Uh, what, what are we looking at at this point in time? Yeah, so we're still, I mean, we're still looking at our, uh, your PPI effects, which uh, we found in other studies, not only will, will suppress the production of acid by your stomach, which is what they're known to do, and that's really what they get a lot of play about, but in fact, PPIs have direct anti-inflammatory effects as well as their acid suppressing effects. And using sort of our cells in a dish, we actually found that um, PPIs can prevent the activation of this well-known inflammatory pathway that's mediated by NF-kappa B. PPIs have a direct effect on shutting that down when it gets activated by acid and bile. So there's a direct effect on this NF-kappa B pathway, which shuts down that inflammatory cytokine production. So PPIs have like these tool dual functions, the acid suppressive effect of the stomach, as well as a direct anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, other, other agents uh, that have been proposed, but they're not ready for prime time, is looking at another cytokine receptor called uh, 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 protease-activated receptor, part 2 receptor, which has also been implicated in this whole inflammatory process. And um, the other agent we found that seems to be uh, upstream of NF-kappa B or a, a sort of a central signaling node is um, hypoxia-inducible factor HIF-2-alpha. And there are compounds in clinical trials that will target HIF-2-alpha specifically, and whether or not those uh, would also be useful for GERD and be more specific uh, to the mucosa and the injury than PPIs, which have been getting a bad rap these days for all of the associations that have been found with people taking chronic PPIs, you know, it remains to be seen. But right now, we're still focused on, on shutting down acid suppression with PPIs. All right. Well, that sounds very promising, and uh, I'm very uh, proud of you. Uh, tell me about uh, what gave you your emphasis to focus on research. Did you have that even before you got to medical school? That was going to be your your spin, or what? What changed from clinical to more research orientation? Yeah, you know, when we were at Howard, right? I didn't do any research, and I think one summer I did research with uh, Dr. Angie Patterson. And we were in Earl Block's lab. I don't know if you remember Dr. Block. He was one of our mi uh, microbiology professors. And I did a little research and I was like, yeah, this is okay. But it, it, that wasn't what I went to medical school to do. So I think what happened is um, I was always interested in GI and acid suppression. And back when we were in medical school, right, ulcer disease was like all the rage. You know, we re really didn't know so much about H. pylori and it was all about, you know, too much acid production. And then when I went into residency, I had some time to do research and I did some clinical research actually with Dr. Speckler, who's my current partner. So we've been together for now for 30 years, uh, which we can always, always talk about that whole mentor mentee relationship and how that, you know, that's actually very important. Um, but then I did clinical research and I was having trouble, you know, getting a GI uh, fellowship spot. But I, I got one at University of Maryland and Stu Speckler looked at me and he goes, you know, you should really go into the lab and do some molecular biology. And, you know, what did I know? I was like, OK, Dr. Speckler, if you think that's what I need to do to be successful in academic medicine, I'm just going to do it. And so I, I ended up doing that during fellowship. I loved it. Who would have thought? I, I absolutely loved it. And in fact, those of you guys who are listening that are doing fellowship, I was a, a clinical GI fellow. 
In fact, I switched tracks and went on to the research track in the middle of my fellowship, which is like, nobody ever does that. People always start off on the research track and switch to the clinical track because nobody wants to really do research. And I went the other way. And I admire people that do research because research really takes a strong uh, intestinal fortitude. To me, you have to have a, a laser focus because I'm an anesthesiologist. I have a short attention span. I like to see something. I give you some 20 seconds or so, you're asleep. The medication, I give you some for blood pressure. So that's almost uh, uh, antithesis of what I am. So I, much admiration for that. I've done some research in the past in undergrad, a little bit at Howard. But uh, I really know that, you know, you guys are creating a future. And, uh, and I really appreciate that about you. And so Thank on you. that, you're welcome. On, and on that, we, wanna, we have a segue way which we're going to go to, and that was you're talking about mentoring. I think uh, something that's very impressive in your background is about the mentoring that you do. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, uh, I really enjoy mentoring. And so I do it both locally here at Baylor, but also at a national level, level for the American Gastroenterological Association. Um, and so the sorts of activities, you know, local is going to be having uh, students in the lab and residents in the lab sort of mentoring them on some, you know, see if I can um, energize any sort of research interest that they might harbor and didn't even know about uh, locally. And at a national level, it's all about uh, career development, how to choose a career. Do you want to go into private practice, basic research, translational, clinical research, uh, how to pick one that's right for you and find a career that's just going to make you want to get out of bed in the morning and, you know, stimulate your intellectual juices. When, when does this start? Do you you reach out to people? Or they reach out to you when they're in undergrad and, and college? Are they medical students? What process? High school? When does this start for you? Uh, so with me uh, at this at this institute now, I have had uh, kids that are in high school reach out um, and there used to be awards directed at high school kids. At our research institute here, you have to be uh, over 18 just for uh, legal reasons to come in. So what's what I've um, had happen is that most people have found me. Uh, they end up on my doorstep. And if you can find your way to my doorstep, I will take you in essentially is my, my motto. Like it's not, a, it's not, a, it's a hard doorstep to find, but if you show up, I'll take you in. Uh, and I've had um, mostly up until the last two years, I have had uh, residents that have completed either pediatrics or internal medicine or are within sort of internal medicine or pediatric residency or actually fellowship wind up on my door. And I've brought them up on some research techniques. And uh, I've had some folks still go into practice. Others have gone on to academic um, appointments. Um, the last two years, I have had recent Cornell grads. Um, my first one showed up on my doorstep through uh, word of mouth, and I usually don't take undergraduate students. Uh, they don't have as much time to dedicate, and it really takes somebody three to six months to get basic lab techniques down in order to then actually start generating data for themselves and then, you know, for, for the lab and the team. So, I, so, you know, students for the summertime, by the time I teach them something, they're gone and they're not, they don't really get anything out of it. But this one woman wanted to come back and do a gap year with me. So I said, you know what, I'll take her for the summer, teach her techniques. She went back to Cornell. She came back again, spent a whole year and she got some self, some stuff accomplished. 
And it was such a positive experience for her and for us that I thought I'm going to take some more students. And so now I actually have two other Cornell students in the lab, one for one year uh, and the other for two years doing some gap years with me. That's great. That's wonderful. Before we uh, let you go, is there a contact? Uh, you have an email site that if someone is interested, they can get in touch with you. Yes. Are you ready? We are ready. It's Rhonda, R-H-O-N-D-A dot Souza, S-O-U-Z-A at Baylor Scott and White. So B-S-W health dot org. Very good. The thing is, uh, Rhonda or Dr. Susan, is that we're trying to pique the interest of a lot of young people. I think you have to look at what comes out of a pandemic. Uh, I think that's growth. I think uh, the sciences can use a, a burst of energy, and I hope that seems to be provided. And I appreciate you for doing it. I do uh, my mentoring on a smaller scale. I do have some people who come around and they rotate with me. I've had a couple of people I've you know, one night on a Saturday night during a pandemic, I wrote about three letters of recommendations for uh, people because, you know, we have to uh, provide for those that are coming uh, on the next step. So I do admire you about doing that. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your private times. What do you do for fun? All right, I'll tell you. But one thing, so, so if, even if you're not here in my lab, if there's anything I can do to help you, please send an email and please reach out and I'll do what I can to kind of hook you up either where you are or if I can do something from afar. So that's one thing. So what do I like to do for fun? Okay, so when I'm not working, which is not a lot of time, uh, I, I, I like to go to the gym. I'm at, uh, I do spin class. I got a trainer on the weekend to kind of keep me in shape. One must uh, keep what physically in shape as well as mentally in shape to, to do the kind of jobs that we do, right? That's correct. And then my other, this is my new recent thing for me, is that I'm going to get uh, scuba certified, scuba diving certified. My pool time is next weekend, and then my open water dive uh, in Texas in a lake will be the following weekend, and then I should be certified. So all I want to do is go diving in the Caribbean and find Nemo. There you go. That sounds wonderful. And the other thing before we let you go, um, you're a gastroenterologist. Uh, we talk about screening uh, as protective for colonoscopies. I just had one uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, talked about Me too. It. Well, wonderful. Great. <laughs> I have a little, a little we're going to add a little something. I had a little, I couldn't record inside, but the, the, the uh, pre-op uh, time, they're taking the Miralax that I took and the, the fasting, we'll talk about a little bit even on this show. Uh, but tell us about the, the importance of getting screened for colon cancer. Oh, that's totally important. I mean, that has been shown to reduce, um, it has been shown to reduce death mortality. Um, and it's really simple to do. I know the prep is horrendous, but if you can just survive the prep once every 10 years, once every five years, it's really been shown to reduce death from colorectal cancer. It's so easy to do propofol. You guys are great with propofol. I just had my first propofol colonoscopy and it was such a pleasure. <laughs> You're out like a light. We take your polyps out no big deal. You wake up after propofol and you're ready to roll. I actually came back to the office and worked the rest of the day. Which we don't advise, but. Yes, yes, yes. You have to do what you have to do. I understand. Well, I walked from our GI lab. My, my partner, Stuart, walked me back upstairs to my office and I did lightweight stuff in the office. As long as you didn't sign your documents away. You That's right. No patient care. I just did uh, stuff in the office. <laughs> We're okay with that. And on that note, Dr. Rhonda Souza, we appreciate your time and 
and thanks for your efforts and continued success to you. I, uh, again, would like to uh, uh, acknowledge all the things that you're doing. The research you're doing is vitally important and also being a role model and showing people that there are other avenues as, as opposed to being a clinician. Research is very valuable. So uh, anything else you'd like to add, Rhonda, yes. before we go? Thank you, Dr. Howard, for the invitation. And it's so nice to hook up after all these years. How about that? We just celebrated 30 years. Yes, we did. Of, uh, leaving medical school. How about that? Who, How who about knew? that? And who would have thought? Look at us go. Thank you very go. much. And on that note, we will all see you. And uh, thank you for enjoying another episode of Dr. Selwyn Howard Show. Stay tuned for more. Thank you. That's it, Rhonda. You did great. That was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was really fun. It, it, it was very good. And uh, I are we going to do another um another uh, group call? I we think are. folks want.